Edgar Sandoval. As president and CEO of World Vision, Edgar has placed a strong emphasis on World Vision's Christian identity and the spiritual transformation of staff. In addition to leading the organization to 8% revenue growth in 2019, he traveled internationally to some of the world's hotspots, appeared in National Geographic's Activate TV series, spoke at pastors gatherings and donor events around the U.S., and launched Chosen, a new invitation to child sponsorship. Hey everybody, here we are for a conversation of hope. I've got Edgar Sandoval, he's the CEO of World Vision. You're gonna learn more about them shortly. Uh, but you know, we're in a time when we need hope. So these conversations of hope uh, give us an opportunity to get to know other world leaders, but to also remind us that God is in control, that we have been called to do ministry. We are all ministers of of and, and ambassadors of reconciliation. And so I am so, so excited to be hanging out with my friend, Edgar Sandoval. Edgar Sandoval, welcome to this Conversation of Hope. How are you doing, my brother? Dr. Anderson, it is my joy and my honor to be with you today. Thank you so much for this amazing invitation. Well, you know what, man? I met you years ago when we came to a Federal Way to World Vision headquarters to talk about racism and diversity and building bridges of reconciliation. At that time, you were the COO, but look look at God, now you're the CEO. What happened over the last uh, couple of years, my brother? <laughs> well, you know, the Lord, the Lord had a plan. He's had a plan to, uh, throughout my whole life, and uh, I'm just, I just feel blessed to be able to be in a position to lead this amazing ministry. It's God's ministry. We're just seeking to discern His will and then follow Him. For people around the world who may not know uh, who is World Vision, can you just give us a, a minute on who this amazing organization is with regard to huma humanitarian relief in a, in a godly way? Yes, World Vision is a 70-year-old Christian ministry. Mm. We go to the hardest places in the world. Yeah. And uh, we fight for people's dignity, for justice. Yeah. We lift and empower and, and come alongside communities so they can lift themselves out of poverty. It is amazing the good work that you and World Vision have done for so many years. I've taken some trips uh, to different countries to see the work that you're doing around the world. And you're going to talk to us about some of your newest work, which I'm so excited about. We're going to get to that shortly and talk about Chosen. Friends, you're going to want to hear this. If you want to talk about hope, wait till you hear about Chosen. But before we get there, uh, tell, some, tell us about your journey. Uh, when did you come to know? the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Edgar? That is a question I love answering because <laughs> it was the best decision of my life to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. You see, at the time, my career was going great. I was climbing the corporate ladder. I had a wonderful wife, a young family. See, I had been raised to believe in God, to pray and to go to church. But Jesus was really not at the center of my life. And deep inside, I knew that was just not good enough. So I guess one can say that I was searching. I was searching. And there were two defining elements that led to this turning point in my life. One was a person, and one was an event. Mm. The person was my boss, my boss, Steve. You see, when I watched Steve at the office, I noticed something different about him. He never used profanity. He never put people down. 
He was never stressed out or yelling. And, and I'm talking about corporate America, okay? Right. So he, he projected this peace, this joy, and I just, I just wonder, what does he have that I don't? Hmm. And I wanted some of what he had. So Steve became my friend and my spiritual mentor. I saw that he was the same in the office and out of the office. His faith defined him. Now the event. The event was a Promise Keepers conference oh, promise keepers. in Dallas. Yeah, Promise Keepers in Dallas, Texas. I was intrigued because when I, where I grew up in Latin America, the idea of men as promise keepers, well, that was an oxymoron, unfortunately. Mm. So I mentioned this conference to Steve, and he said he had been to Promise Keepers while he was growing up, and he would love to go with me. I'll never forget walking into that arena in Dallas. Mm. There were over 10,000 men singing, praying, listening to Bible-based speeches and presentations on how to apply Scripture mm. to their daily lives. And, and for me, that was all, well, just very weird. <laughs> I never felt so out of place. You see, I didn't know the songs they were playing. I wasn't used to the way they were worshiping with their hands raised. And so I thought, what am I doing here? <laughs> I got to get out of this place. Huh. And just at that moment, the band started to play an amazing song. I never heard it before, but it touched me, touched me, touched every part of my body. I felt chills then, and I still do when I think about it. Mm. It goes something like this. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes. Let me see. Here I am to worship. Here oh, yeah. I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. In the middle of that song, I started to yield. Huh. There I was with tears rolling down my face because I realized that I had never, ever bowed down to Christ with honest humility. I had never ever worshiped God with all my heart, my mind, my soul. I can't explain really what happened in that moment with that song other than to say that it was there that the Spirit of God met me. So it sounds like surrender took place at that moment. That's right, that's the moment I completely surrendered to Christ, asking Him to take control. And then, as you would expect, everything started to change. It was at that moment that through the Spirit of God, a real transformation began in me. I still remember coming back from Dallas. I was energized, full of hope, and with a plethora of knowledge to put into practice. And then my wife, Lisa, says to me, I don't know what they did to you in that <laughs> conference, <laughs> but I like this Edgar a lot. Uh -oh. So feel free to go back as many times as you want. <laughs> you came in a new man. <laughs> That's, that's what happens, right? Uh, I surrendered to Christ. Everything in my life started to change. I began to go deeper and deeper into a daily relationship with Jesus. And when you do that, well, change happens. I was yeah. leading my family differently. I approached my job differently. And I learned, and I continue to learn today, that surrendering to the Holy Spirit is really the most important thing anyone can do. And it's the beginning of every good thing that happens in our lives. Well, that's almost uh, a conversation of hope right there because a change took place once you yielded to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And you know what? There may be someone even today uh, who's thinking, this is exactly what I need to do. I, I, like I hear Edgar's story. I was religious too. I grew up this way. I understood some things. But that moment where you actually bow and yield and say yes 
to the Lord's way and the Lord's will. Let me just say to you, if you've not done that yet, uh, there's no better time to pause than to pause even now and just say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. And Edgar's saying his whole life changed as a result of it. So thank you for sharing uh, that, Edgar Sandoval. And uh, hope begins there sometimes, you know, just when you yield to the Lord, he gives you this power to put you on a new trajectory. And that's what happened to you as well. God began leading your life. Um, but, you know, tell, talk to us about your immigrant experience, because you were born here in America, but then you you left and, and then came back later, uh, almost like an immigrant, even though you're a citizen born here. Wh- what was that like? That's right. I was born in Los Angeles, California, to immigrant parents from Guatemala. But when I was a little boy, my family moved back to Guatemala and then later to Venezuela, which is where I grew up. I would say my childhood was generally very happy. But then as a teenager, well, unfortunately, the family just fell apart. There were times we didn't even have food on the table. And eventually my parents separated. So at the age of 18, I packed everything I owned into my dad's green army duffel bag and returned to the U.S. I landed in New York City with just $50 in one pocket and my American passport on the other pocket. Oh, and I could not speak English. (laughs) So it was really like being an immigrant in my own country. Uh It really was. Well, you know, my, yeah. my wife, Amber, uh, she came to America from the streets of Korea when she was about 17 years old and she could barely speak English. And so that kind of immigrant experience, I can only imagine if you land in, a, in another country and you can barely speak. Um, but she was adopted into a, a white American Christian family. Um, but you came, you didn't have a family to, to kind of help you transition. You just had 50 bucks in your pocket. That might have been able to get you a Starbucks. I'm not sure. But <laughs> how did that feel being like eight, what, we were 18 or something like that? How did that feel having 50 bucks in your pocket and not being able to speak the language of the country that you're in? It was, it was a, a, a really unbelievable experience. When, when, we, when we come back, when we all come to America, we all come with dreams. And my dream was to study engineering. But I had to put that on hold to keep a roof over my head and food on the table. I took minimum wage jobs, and the most memorable of them all was working at a Burger King in New Jersey. Uh. Let me tell you, let me tell you, flipping burgers on a 500-degree grill while wearing a paper hat, well, that's a humbling experience. And because of my poor English, every order was a grueling adventure, okay? When the cashier called out the order, I often couldn't tell if it was hold the cheese or double cheese, extra pickles or no pickles. Huh. <laughs> I, think, I think I was the inspiration for Burger King's campaign, have it your way, because I fulfill all those orders my way. That, <laughs> I, I, laugh, I can laugh now. I, I, I you know what would now. make me laugh, Edgar, is if I could see you in a Burger King hat. You know, we, this is what you need to do. You need to go to a Burger King sometime. I want to see you with a paper Burger King hat. That would just make my day. <laughs> oh. Well, I'll tell, tell you what. After, um, there was a breakthrough, though. There was a really important breakthrough. And that was that I, I first enrolled in a community college. And mm. I was taking English as a second language courses. Mm. And then the breakthrough came. I was accepted to Rutgers University. Oh, wow. There you go. But, yeah, but then, but then on the day of my enrollment, I faced a big disappointment. You see, the admissions counselor told me 
that my test scores were not good enough for the engineering school. And so I try to explain in my broken English that comprehending and completing that test in English had been a real challenge for me. I told her that I had been accepted into the best engineering school in Venezuela before coming to the U.S. Well, she interrupts me and goes on to say, listen, study sociology. Yeah. <laughs> and so I did. And so I did. But I didn't let go of my dream. And when I graduated in 1989, it was with a Bachelor of Arts in Sociology and also a Bachelor of Science in Engineering and a minor in Math. And later, I earned my MBA from the Wharton School of Business. And all of a sudden, my American dream was starting to unfold. How about that? Well, you know, you mentioned the Burger King campaign. You mentioned college and, and now business school. I mean, you are the American dream in some ways, just seeing this progression of, of your life as a Hispanic male who's now surrendered and following uh, Christ. When we talk about campaigns, I can't help but think about the very popular like a girl campaign from Procter and Gamble, which you were uh, an executive there. Can you tell us a little bit about your time at Procter and Gamble and the like a girl campaign? I also love talking about the like a girl campaign. You see, I have three daughters, so I have always had a passion for empowering young women and girls. When I was leading the feminine care division at Procter and Gamble, my research team and I interviewed young women around the world, and what we found is that regardless of their nationality, religion, socioeconomic status, once they hit puberty, they lost confidence in their dreams, and that was just not right. God created us both, male and female, in His image, and He has a purpose for, for all of us, right? So I declare this loss of self-confidence among young girls our public enemy number one, and we were committed to defeat it. Around the same time, I went to the International Festival of Creativity at Cannes in the French Riviera, which is like the Oscars for the advertising world. I spent a lot of time looking at great creative work, and I was thinking, we should be there among the best. We have great brands, great people, and really good creative agencies but somehow we were getting comfortable with work that was just good enough. So on my way back home, on the plane, I wrote to my team and I said this, we're going to develop a new advertising campaign that changes the world one girl at a time. Yes, we kept the bar high, really pushing for something that would change lives. And then someone on the creative team in one of our meetings said, since when did doing things like a girl become an insult? I'll say that again. Since when did doing things like a girl become an insult? Mm -hmm. Wow. I knew immediately that was an idea with big potential. And I would love if we can look at the video together now. Hi, Aaron. Show me what it looks like to run like a girl. Show me what it looks like to fight like a girl. <laughs> now throw like a girl. Aw. So do you think you just insulted your sister? No. I mean, yeah, insulted girls, but not my sister. My name is Dakota, and I'm 10 years old. Show me what it looks like to run like a girl. Throw like a girl. Fight like a girl. 
What does it mean to you when I say run like a girl? It means run fast as you can. The video has been viewed over 90 million times. It swept all the advertising awards, including an Emmy. And it was one of the most successful campaigns in PNG's history. This is a 180-year company, right? 180-year-old company. But for me, the real reward was the change in the public arena. Before this campaign, only 19% of people thought that doing something like a girl was a compliment. A year later, that number had increased to 79%. And now I see girls proudly declaring their accomplishments like a girl, and I'm so proud. proud. That, that is pretty incredible. Do you think that having three daughters kind of gave you that extra desire to really lift women up? Without a doubt, without a doubt. And also, they were my amazing small focus group. I remember coming back home one evening with the first edit of the, of the commercial. I showed it to my then 14-year-old daughter, Natalia. And I said, what do you think, honey? She says, Dad, this, this thing is going to explode in the Internet. I'm wow. like, well, is that a good thing? I wasn't yeah. sure if exploding <laughs> right. in the Internet was a good thing or not. Right. <laughs> but she was, she, was right, she was right, and she already had an eye for, uh, for good advertising. Wow. Now, you have a son, too, right? So you, is, it, is it four kids you have? Absolutely. I have four kids. The oldest is a boy, and then I have three girls, yes. Yeah, my oldest uh, is a boy, and then I have another boy, and then I have a girl. But my son, Isaiah... Uh, just got married uh, last summer. We did it at our house. You know, the whole coronavirus thing was going to be like a big wedding type thing. But it was actually quite intimate. I got to do the wedding. Uh, but didn't your son get married this year as well? Well, first, congratulations to you and to your son. He did get married, and his plans also changed. They were, yeah. planning, they were planning a big wedding. They ended up getting married through Zoom, which was yeah. a wonderful thing because we had more people joining from more parts of the world that we would have had otherwise. So there's always a blessing. Yeah, the whole Zoom thing, bro, you know, I would have flown out to, uh, to Seattle, to the West Coast to hang out with you face to face. But, you know, with the whole coronavirus thing, tell me a little bit about how you've been able to navigate uh, the coronavirus thing, not only in your own personal family, but I'm sure us two as leaders have to make these decisions for our organizations as well. Uh, how has the whole 2020 coronavirus thing hit you personally? My family and I have had to be very careful since the COVID-19 pandemic started last year. And that's because my daughter, Andrea, who's a special girl, she has a compromised immune system. So since March 2020, I have been working at home and doing everything I can to protect her from the risk of being infected. At World Vision, we're also following a, what we call a remote-first work approach. That is, we're all working from home, and I really do miss being with my colleagues in person. But it has been a blessing to be with Andrea during the day. She sometimes joins me in my home office, watching her movies on her iPad. My coworkers know that if they hear giggles in the background of a call, well, that's Andrea. <laughs> but I also got to tell you about a family conversation we had during the pandemic. There were some very long faces in the Sandoval household this, this one night. And uh, so it was time to call a, a family meeting, right? Everybody had some frustration that was festering. For instance, my son, who was getting married, had to change all of his wedding plans. My daughter, Natalia, wasn't able to be a camp counselor when the summer camp was canceled. My wife, Lisa, wasn't getting the help that she needed with the girls at home. 
And of course, we were worried about our parents down in Florida who were vulnerable to COVID-19. So it was one of those times that we needed to call a family meeting. So I did. And we aired our frustrations. Mm. But then we looked at the big picture. We talked about how we weren't among the most affected by COVID. We didn't get sick or lose family members to this disease. We weren't even affected a lot, such as those who are unemployed and cannot feed their families or those who live in places without the infrastructure to contain the virus, like the places where World Vision works. We were in another group, a group that I call the very inconvenience group. Our plans had changed or were maybe up in the air, but we were virus-free and we were together in our well-built house with food and clean water. We could Zoom our friends and stream church. So looking at the big picture, we saw that we could deal with our disappointments and instead pray for those who had lost so much. Yeah. Well, yes, it's been very inconvenient, but uh, you know, it takes leadership during times like this as well for our families and our organizations. So thank you for your leadership, even of your family and keeping your, them safe, even when sometimes I'm sure they want to get out. And sometimes my wife may be wondering, when are you going to get out? But anyway, the idea <laughs> of being, being a leader at World Vision and being a leader at home uh, it's not lost on me, sir. So thank you for, for that. You know, being a leader at World Vision means you are trying to make a difference for kids around the entire globe. And yes. I want you to talk to us now, because we talked about the Like a Girl campaign with Procter & Gamble, but now you're at this Christian uh, relief organization. Now you're the CEO, and somehow God gave you another like a girl kind of a moment where there's now this huge campaign called Chosen. I want my people to, to know about Chosen. Bridgeway, you're gonna hear uh, Edgar Sandoval tell you about Chosen. I want you to remember that word. I want you to remember what the campaign's about. I'm gonna ask him the question now, but I just want you to like tune your ears up if you're in the kitchen or if you're in the bed holding up your cell phone. Uh, take a moment now to kind of zoom in your attention because this is an amazing, amazing thing that we've never seen done anywhere around the world. So Edgar, tell us about this new campaign, Chosen. Chosen, Chosen has been an amazing gift from God. See, when I joined World Vision in 2015 as Chief Operating Officer, my heart was immediately broken by the plight of vulnerable children around the world. I was on a plane ride, coming back from one of my first international trips. And I found myself very unsettled as the pictures of children literally flashing through my mind. I couldn't see their faces, but I knew they were in great need. So I started to pray for a Christ-honoring breakthrough idea to help more children. We wanted to just help more children. And my team started working and also praying. But unlike at P&G, we didn't have a big budget or a recognized ad agency from Madison Avenue in New York City. But we had a small and mighty team who was on fire for Jesus and committed to the most vulnerable children in the world. So it took a lot of prayer and years of hard work. Mm -hmm. But God used the question to give us the answer. Someone asked, what if we flip the script of sponsorship and we put the power to choose in the child's hands? Mm -hmm. And that was the beginning of what we call chosen. I believe chosen is an expression of World Vision's beliefs 
that children are change agents. We believe they are image bearers of God, beautiful messengers to whom God speaks. We really didn't do anything new. We simply created a new way to connect children with sponsors. Simple, but so powerful. A way that brings new meaning to choosing and being chosen. Something that is at the heart of God our Father. I could talk about chosen and the power of chosen for quite a while. But I think it's better if we show this video. Wow, that is an amazing video, uh, Edgar. Just watching it, you can feel yourself in it. Like, wow, these children have the power to choose who they want to relate to. You know, folk in developing countries and just children in general don't have opportunities to express the power of choice. This has got to make your heart feel, feel something, doesn't it? It is amazing. And to see the children... When they get ready, they come in their Sunday's best, well-dressed, and, and they know they're going to get a chance to choose who they want to be for sponsors. And to see the families gather and have their picture taken, knowing that those photos are going to travel across the ocean to another continent, well, the emotions are high, the joy is tremendous, and more importantly, the opportunity that these sponsors give to these children is so critical, particularly in these times that we're living with COVID-19 and all the other aftershocks of COVID. Well, for Bridgeway Community Church, for my uh, radio listeners, my uh, followers and fans all over, anybody that is watching this video, really, you have an opportunity to be a part of this. And I'm going to give you this opportunity shortly. Uh, so make sure you hold on because you might want to be a part of Chosen, where a child actually chooses chooses you. And you're not in a power position. You're in a vulnerable position because they're going to look and say and maybe even pray and choose choose you or your family and if you get chosen then how do you how do you build into their life you know God allows this to happen in our lives he's God he has all the power but he gives us the power of choice to follow him and we get to say yes Lord we'll surrender to you just like uh, Edgar did uh, at that promise keepers uh, conference so he he loves us enough to give us the power of choice 
uh, will we love children around the world enough to give them the power of choice? This is so much like God. Edgar, I'm just so glad that you, you've uh, led this campaign with your team. I'm sure it takes a lot of work, a lot of coordination. And then when you start throwing in um, the, the coronavirus and the difficulties of just being in the developing world altogether, I'm sure it's not easy. But what has the journey been like as you've rolled this out? You know, when we first launched Chosen uh, about a year ago, we were just so excited. Um, the, the, the sponsors were just, uh, it was such a blessing for the sponsors to put themselves in a bit of a vulnerable position, right, to be chosen as opposed to them being the ones being, uh, doing the choosing. And then in the communities where we work, as I said, the children, the moms, the dads were so excited to get the chance to choose. There was this sense there was this, just this huge sense of excitement, um, and and we you know we were just getting ready to get you know a lot of kids sponsored uh, through Chosen, <laughs> and then COVID hit, and we had mm. to shut everything down. Everything had to be shut down. It was hard for the team to have um, to think through all the anticipation, all the hard work, getting ready to scale this wonderful Chosen, and now everything is in lockdown. We can't do choosing events in the field. We can't go to churches. And so that was, a, that was a very difficult time. But I'm so proud of our team. They immediately pivoted to virtual events, immediately started using technology to connect with the field. And so we are now restarting the scale up of Chosen. And uh, we are just, we're ready. We're ready to unveil this campaign to the world. We believe this is a God-given gift. Um, it couldn't have come at a better time. The kids in the field are in very, very difficult situations right through COVID-19. They were already vulnerable. Now they're even more vulnerable. They were already poor. But with the lockdowns, the, uh, uh, the fact that parents can uh, continue to go to work, if they were poor, now they're ultra poor. And the effects of COVID-19 are going to be, unfortunately, quite quite long-lasting in the communities where we work. There is predictions, there are some dire predictions about for the first time since 1998, millions of people will be pushed back into extreme poverty. And here's the worst part. This is the thing that really, really breaks my heart. Many children, because of the difficult economic situation in their households, many children will be forced into child labor. Many children will be forced into tr child trafficking. Many young girls will be married way before they should be married. And so Chosen gives us an opportunity to come alongside these kids and say it doesn't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm so excited about being here speaking with you today yeah. and hopefully inspiring everyone to come alongside these children and give them an opportunity for life in all of its fullness. Well, you know, at the end of our time together, this conversation in just a few minutes, I want to pray for 
uh, the children around the world. And I want to pray about a very specific country that we want to zero in on, and that is the country of Rwanda. We have not uh, done much work there as we have in, in Kenya or South Africa or Nigeria or other countries, Ethiopia and uh, countries in Latin America. And uh, we're, we're opening up some things in the Middle East, but we've never really kind of pressed into Rwanda. And I want to make sure that I give everyone an opportunity to be a part of uh, Chosen and Rwanda. And so I'm going to pray in just a moment around that regard. Uh, but before we do, as we kind of come to a close here, let's come back home for a second. With all the domestic issues right here in the United States of America, uh, and I know that all of us have, have come through uh, just uh, a year or two of just trauma in so many ways, but the racial unrest, the work I've done around racism with World Vision and other um, organizations, Edgar, I just kind of want to throw it to you, a sort of a twofold question. One. Uh, as you think about racial unrest, as you think about racism, as you think about building bridges of reconciliation, I want you to speak to that. And then two, uh, I want you to give us a word of hope. I know you've been thinking about uh, this conversation of hope. What hope can you give us as a nation, as a church, as my people and your people are watching this and so many others are, uh, would you just end with a, a word of hope? So the unrest, hope, and then I'm gonna give everyone an opportunity to experience Chosen. Well, here's what we know. Today's times are difficult. They're difficult times. And they're not always joyful. But I do find joy in the knowledge that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. What seems clear, what seems clear is that the enemy is seeking to divide us, yes. maybe even succeeding, right? Yeah. During these times of unimaginable division in our country, where families are becoming estranged, where believers in the same Bible are trading insults, we need to ask ourselves, I think a more profound question, and that is, who are we putting our hope in? Yes. Right? I, I, don't, know, I don't know if things are going to get better, but I know this. My hope is only in Jesus. That's right. My identity is only in Christ. Because apart from Christ, I can't do anything. So I will stay rooted in the true vine. I yes. will continue to yield to the Holy Spirit to transform me so that I can be God's instrument here on earth. I will not yoke myself with anyone or anything that does not show the fruits of the Spirit. Because if yes. there's no fruit, well, it's not in the vine, right? That's right. That's this good. Is a time, this is a time where brothers and sisters in Christ can examine ourselves. Take the plank out of our own eyes before we take the plank oh, out amen. of our eyes. Because we need each other, and we need Jesus. The metaphor of the body of Christ, which the Apostle Paul illustrates in 1 Corinthians 12, yeah. is so appropriate at a time like this. Not only do we need each other to function and to accomplish our mission, but as a body, we cannot ignore the signs of pains and trouble. If one part suffers, we all suffer. Yes. So, as it relates to racial justice, if our black sisters and brothers are hurting, we also hurt with them. Yes. That's what happens when you're in the body of Christ. Punto. Mm. So my prayer is that through Christ, we will find more that unites us than to divide us. Yeah. See, at World Vision, we are honored to have relationships with churches across the country representing many races. 
So we want to engage in conversations and listen and learn. That's why we started a year-long experience for churches called May We Be One. Not because we have the answers, but because bringing together pastors with the experts who do, yes. we want to, I say, get, in a, get on a journey. And a journey together to explore and convene conversations about racism so that we can all play a role in getting rid of it. Yeah. That's... That's what we're hoping to do. Yeah. You know, you mentioned uh, 1 Corinthians 12, which, you know, uh, racism was written around that passage that talks about us being one body with many members. We've also come up with the Gracism Creed for Racial Healing. People can find this uh, at uh, EmbraceGracism.com. Check it out. It may be something uh, that you can say, you know what, the the body of Christ is what God has called us to and how can we bring healing racially through through gracism and through bridge building and through doing what you just said, Edgar, and that is being connected to the vine. Uh, Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. And that that fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against which there is no law is what the apostle teaches us in, in Galatians 5, 22. So thank you so much for bringing that up because that's a word that we all need and that uh, you said basically that uh, hope is in the Lord. You know, I'm thinking of that hymn. I know you'll know it, uh, Edgar, uh, you know, just like they were singing that song in the Promise Keepers Conference. But you know that old hymn, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And listen, friends, if you've not made a decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, how about you do that even now? Uh, Just repeat after me this prayer. However you pray to the Lord, just whether you lift your hands or kneel by your bed or just close your eyes, it's not the words that you use, but it's the uh, condition of your heart. And just say, dear Jesus, come into my life. I need the hope that Edgar was talking about I need to yield to you like uh, Edgar was talking about. Lord, my life is divided and broken and I've sinned against you and I'm so sorry. Please come into my life. Forgive me for my sins. I make a decision to, to choose you today because you first chose me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, listen, uh, friends. So check this out at uh, Bridgeway and on our website, and uh, you can connect with World Vision as well. We want to give you an opportunity to now sponsor a child who chooses you. It's $39 uh, per month, and I'm going to turn it over in just a moment uh, to to Javi Diaz and Pastor Jared Sorber, who will give us more instruction. But I just want to say to you, uh, not only do I endorse World Vision, I endorse what the Lord is doing through this anointed leader, uh, Edgar Sandoval, and his entire team. And we're going to go into Rwanda. We're going to allow them to choose us. And if you join 
join the campaign, uh, you'll be able to connect with some child who you can help uh, get uh, clean drinking water to. Uh, they can learn more about the Lord Jesus Christ. They can learn more about what child labor is and how not to uh, get sucked into it and so many other things that is necessary in a country like Rwanda that's dealt with forgiveness and has dealt with reconciliation, but still needs to be strengthened. And God's going to use you today to help strengthen this uh, country through World Vision and our partnership with them. And uh, Edgar, let me just say to you, thank you so much for your leadership, your friendship. Thank you for all you're doing around the world. I love you, brother. I can't wait for us to get together and hang out when the whole coronavirus thing is over. But thanks for taking the time to help us with this conversation of hope today. Likewise, Dr. Anderson, thank you. Thank you and to Bridgeway Church. Thank you for your leadership. We are so honored that you've chosen to partner with World Vision. It's a privilege. Amen. Well, I'm going to close this now in a prayer for Rwanda. Would you all just close your eyes wherever you are and let's lift up uh, this country. Dear, dear Lord Jesus, we pray uh, for the whole continent of Africa. We pray for children all around the world. But specifically, we're going to zero in and target our prayers uh, toward Rwanda and the children who are there. Lord, lead us to say yes. For those of us who can afford $39 per month to be able to help a child grow in their knowledge of Christ, have clean drinking water and learn what it means to uh, get a, an education. Lord, all that our $39 a month can do, would you now just touch our hearts so that hundreds of us, if not thousands, would say yes to you in this moment of how we can build bridges of reconciliation as though Christ was making his appeal through us to these children. For it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen.